He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, he's outspoken. You will tell your kids, and your grandkids, and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise, and he was the greatest world heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas, and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. Triple Threat Podcast that you are listening to this Triple Threat Podcast on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire, and we are setting in here to franchise your ears for episode number 43, so if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined on the two-man power trip by my great tag team partner, the one and only John Paz and our partner on the Triple Threat Podcast hails from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He is the one and only franchise, Shane Douglas. Shane, do you like my franchise your ears catchphrase that I have tried to uh, get going here the last couple of weeks? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> There's a rib, everybody. I'm not that old. Uh, no, I loved it. It was a great tagline. I'm maybe get some T-shirts made of that. I think they'd sell. <laughs> Hell. <laughs> well, Shane, welcome to episode number 43. Ooh, the big 4-3. Almost, uh, actually, uh, right about my same age as I am now. So, 43, <laughs> 44, like in that time <laughs> time frame somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> episode number 43 is rocking and rolling. It's obviously coming off a gigantic week in the business uh, with WrestleMania and WrestleCon and about... 10,000 independent wrestling shows going on in the great state of Louisiana over the last couple of days. But as we do on the show, you know, it kind of, we, we usually start off with your weekend review, but it's pretty much going to be a show of your weekend review. Well, we'll get to all that in a minute, but we're coming off a big episode last week with Mikey Whipwreck, uh, which was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. Uh, Mikey, I got to tell you, as underrated as he is in the ring, is just as underrated a guest. And obviously, if you haven't heard him before, I mean, just witty, hilarious, very uh, quirky. Oh. But I got to tell you, everything he says ends up being funny in some way. Uh, he, I'm telling you, we were, we spent the you know the entire weekend, like from Wednesday on uh, till Sunday late uh, together. He had a selling stitches. He he is a funny son of a bitch, and and it just he does some of the best spot on impersonations. His Terry Funk is impeccable. Uh, his Paul Heyman. I mean, you go through and just listen to him talking, and 
and things. And you know, you'll be mid sentence saying something, he'll do that, and you'll start pissing your pants laughing. Uh, <laughs> Mikey, my, but Mike, you know, Mikey and me and Jerry Lynn spent you know the the, the bulk of the time together. It's always great to see those guys because it takes you back right instantly to those great ECW years. I've always liked both guys tremendously and thought highly of both of them, both of them extreme pros. Uh, but just to get to spend that time, that, that amount of time together after all this time, and especially off the heels of Mikey's guesting on the podcast last week, uh, it was just a, a hell of a lot of fun this weekend. Yeah, we, uh, we had Mikey on the two-man power trip uh, last summer, and it was Mikey's first interview that he had done in a really long time. And just even in that, I mean, just his stories, they're, they're just, they're funny. They're just very funny stories. <laughs> yeah. And I kid you not, I mean, I, you know, take, take pride in the YouTube channel. We passed a million views last week. Um, Sweet. The, one of the clips, yeah, yeah. Woo-hoo. One of the clips I uploaded was the dueling Terry Funk impressions between you and Mikey and, and talking about, <laughs> I, I called it the hilarious wisdom of Terry Funk and just listening to that, you're right. I mean, it's Terry Funk is pretty damn spot on. I, I got to say, I've gotten a kick out of it listening to it a couple times back since. Uh, it's unbelievable. And, you know, to me, the thing that makes it even funnier is, you know, having known Mikey all these years, you know, and when he came in as the scared kid in ECW, afraid of his own shadow, you know, he's walking into a pretty heady place with, you know, all these nasty characters floating around. And, uh, to see how he sort of adapted into that character and has grown since and learned the business and taught others in the business. And, you know, it's just uh, really proud to see, see what he's done with it. And like I said, for me, just a great time to sit back and have a few beers and, and, and tell a shitload of stories between me, him and Jerry and, and all the guys we were with. It was a hell of a lot of fun. I had a great time this weekend. Yeah. And that's not only the big franchise news that was coming out of this past week and, and in addition to the triple threat podcast shirts the franchise is now on pro wrestling tees.com with his own store Woo-hoo. with a couple a couple great t-shirt images that are now a part of this pro wrestling tea store pro wrestling tees obviously uh literally changing the way fans can get pro wrestling t-shirts the way uh pro wrestling t-shirts look uh, and Shane, I mean, you know, John, I know was giving you the updates as uh, some of the things are going on, yes. but uh, much anticipated. And obviously, the fans have responded in a gigantic way, welcoming uh, the franchise to Pro Wrestling Tees uh, this past week. Yeah, you know, it's been, these guys have been in contact with me for a long time, and I've been so busy with everything else that I just really didn't have time to focus on it. But thanks to you guys and and everybody else that sort of pushed me in that direction, we've finally gotten this thing done. And uh, I'm excited. I mean, you know, when I take a look and see what a brilliant, I, I, the only thing I'm pissed about is I didn't think of it because it's such <laughs> a brilliant idea to be able to go one-stop shopping and get all your great wrestling heroes from forever in one place and, and get them sent out. And then from us on our side, as the wrestlers, it, it, it allows us to not have to walk around or you know travel around carrying a uh, department store of sizes and colors and uh, different artworks and everything like that. So the fans can now go to pro wrestling tees and get the franchise and the triple threat t-shirts and, you know, got a lot of other new stuff on, you know, working on. So I think it's a great idea. Like I said, I'm pissed. I didn't come up with it, but kudos to the guys that did. and, And I'm excited to be part of it finally. 
Yeah, and the the URL is prowrestlingtees.com slash franchise SD, and we will be plugging the shit out of that over uh, the rest of these shows, and we're really happy to have you on there because, uh, I mean, every single person that you could possibly think of in the history of the business is on there, the estates of uh, places like uh, Andre the Giant's family has signed off on a Pro Wrestling Tees page. Uh, The Macho Man's family uh, has signed off on a Pro Wrestling Tees page. So to see these iconic people on this platform, and now you have uh, yourself a a page on here, and this is where I want to welcome John in because, you know, John works very closely with uh, the man who who operates Pro Wrestling Tees, Ryan. And, uh, you know, throughout our years that we've been doing the show, we've helped – uh, get people involved with pro wrestling tees, and John's been a huge part of the facilitating of this. But John, I mean, our Triple Threat podcast shirts are on Shane's page, but he's got four brand new T-shirt designs, which include the classic franchise uh, three with the Superman uh, logo, the uh, a black shirt that says the franchise Shane F and Douglas. The Shane Douglas, the franchise Pittsburgh PA shirt, and John, I'm going to let you tell this one because I know this one's your favorite, but that fourth shirt, damn, is it eye-catching when you go on the page. Yes, you got the you know the, the famous catchphrase with all the guys' names, the Rick Flair, the Lou Fez, you know, the, the Terry Funk, the Dory Funk, and they can all kiss my ass. That is a great <laughs> shirt. Absolutely love that shirt. Such a cool idea, and it kind of reminds me of that great promo uh, a lot. Yeah, you know, if you guys had told me in 19 or something when I was breaking into wrestling <laughs> that at some point I'd have my T-shirts on a site with Andre the Giant and Macho Man Randy Savage and Stone Cold Steve Austin and Ric Flair and all Steamboat and all these guys, I'd have laughed in your face and thought you're you're, you're smoking something pretty strong because it just it, to me it's almost surreal even after all these years in the business. I still idolize those guys. I look up to those guys like this this week, past weekend, you know, talking to Larry the Axe Hennig and Bill Watts and, uh, you know, all these guys that, you know, that I've idolized growing up, watched as a kid and came into the business and learned from. And and now this thing with pro wrestling tees, to me, honestly, you know, you guys know, but I don't think many of the fans out there know. You know, what a big, like, I know the word market's thrown around like a lot of negative connotations. I'm the world's biggest wrestling mark. I love professional wrestling, still do, can still watch it 24 hours a day. And, and so to to have my name on any site, even if I'm the last name on the list with those guys, <laughs> pretty fucking cool in my book. Pretty awesome. WrestleCon was this past weekend, obviously. It was around the time of WrestleMania, like it always is. Big experience down there in New Orleans, Louisiana. What was your big takeaway from the weekend? Did you have a good time down there in NOLA? Uh, was WrestleMania in New Orleans? I think so. <laughs> I believe so. I, I, I would have never known. I, it was uh, were, look. Uh, all kidding aside, you know, I'm a big jackass. I know that, but uh, you know, there were there were a, a shitload of fans. I've been to a lot of the. Uh, WrestleCons, and if this one wasn't the most uh, visited WrestleCon, I'd be surprised because the way that all the previous ones that I've been, the previous five or six that I'd been to, uh, Friday did good business, but it was you know usually far less than what you'd see Saturday. This past Friday, 
was a madhouse at the, uh, I think it was at the Sheraton Hotel, uh, right down there in the French Quarter. Uh, it was wall-to-wall people jam-packed in there. And, uh, you know, it had just an incredible competitor, like every WrestleCon. I mean, those guys do a great job at high spots and putting this thing together that, you know, they get all these guys congregated into one place. And it gives the fans who come from literally around the world. There were fans there from Australia, New Zealand, uh, Japan, China, uh, uh, all over Europe, uh, from the Middle East, from Qatar and, and uh, the United Arab Emirates. Uh, Germany, Italy, Spain, England, Ireland, Scotland. Uh, just astounding. You know, get these fans all in one place and to see every fan, you know, of all those places I just mentioned, all those cultures are so vastly different. But you get them into one room with all these wrestlers and they're all wrestling fans. Uh, it's astounding how wrestling sort of transcends all these geopolitical lines and everybody knows who Bret Hart is. Everybody knows who Steve Austin is. Everybody knows who Sting is. Everybody knows who all these guys are in this room, meaning that they've followed this somehow in their little corner of the world and put the politics aside. It's They're wrestling fans. It's incredible for a guy like me to see that somebody that's taught this stuff, you know, politics and 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 history and uh, you know, all of these things and to see these fans coming from around the world to congregate in this one tiny dot in New Orleans, uh, astounding. But here was the big takeaway for me. Uh, you know, obviously WrestleMania is there. WrestleMania is going to always do well. Uh, it's become a tradition like the NFL Super Bowl or Major League Baseball's uh, World Series. Uh, it's huge uh, and, and it will always do well. But what I was hearing consistently from fans at WrestleCon, uh, you know, to put a percentage on, I'd say at least one in 10 fans was saying that they had come for WrestleCon and didn't plan to attend WrestleMania, which is the first time I'd heard that in, the, in all the WrestleCons I'd been to. So again, kudos to the guys at High Spots putting it together and, and all the fans that had traveled from all these different points across the globe to come to, the, again, this little tiny spot in New Orleans uh, because of this thing called professional wrestling just makes my jaw drop every time I think about it. And this weekend you were with Jerry Lynn, Mikey Whipwreck, obviously the Moose, yeah. and Francine as well, right? Yeah, yeah, Francine and Daphne was at the same table with Francine right next to us. Uh it was great. You know, putting on anytime you, the thing that always amazes me with the ECW talent is anytime you put us in a room or in proximity of each other, uh, you know, I've got a lot of other friends from around the wrestling business, but anytime I'm around ECW talent, it's like being around family, you know, and, and I, I, I don't say that loosely like some little tagline, like, Hey, that's cool to say. Uh, it really is like not missing a beat. You know, like I haven't seen Jerry Lynn in probably, you know, eight, 12 months. I hadn't seen Mikey in probably longer, although we talked sporadically on the phone here and there. And Francine and I hadn't seen each other, although we talked through Twitter and on the phone occasionally. Uh, I hadn't seen Francine since uh, I think the Legends of the Ring, not Legends of the Ring, the, the one at the, uh, uh, what's the, what's the one in uh, LaGuardia? Uh, big event, big event, the big event. Yeah. 
that's the last time I saw Francine. And, uh, you know, anytime you put us together in a room, it's like, you know, we saw each other last weekend. And, you know, it's, you just pick up and the stories start and the camaraderie uh, comes out. Uh, you know, for the fans that may have never gotten a chance to see ECW, when you see the chemistry between ECW talent, that's not a work. That's not a put on. Uh, all of us have some deep seated respect and I think some form of love for each other. Uh, and, and that was on display this weekend. Although we laughed our asses off the entire time, you know, I, I got to tell the story real quick. It was, it was perfectly uh, set up every, you know, so the fans were coming in and, you know, some were getting pictures with me and Francine and some were getting pictures with Mikey and Jerry and some were wanting pictures with all of us. And, well, this particular guy, I'm going to guess probably his mid-40s, comes up and he wants a picture with all of us. So he, I'm on one side of him. Francine's on the other side, and Mikey and, and uh, Jerry are on the outsides of the picture. So right as they get ready to start the picture, I reach down and I grab the guy's ass. And the guy <laughs> sort of jumps and smiles. And with not knowing what happened, Francine says, uh, oh, who's this? And so the guy gets a big grin on his face and turns and looks at Francine like it was her that grabbed his ass. <laughs> so we're all cracking up about it. And as he walks away, Francine goes, my timing always sucks. And Mikey Whipper looks at her and goes, no, it was impeccable. <laughs> Perfect ECW spot. <laughs> yeah, it was so cool to see all the stuff coming out, you know, all over Twitter and uh, people posting on Facebook of their experiences and who they got to see and, and what they got to see. Now, I saw Mikey was posting stuff. I saw Francine was posting a lot of stuff. So in Chad's infinite wisdom, I reached out to a certain uh, person that was with you, Shane, a, a big moose, if you will. And I said, hey, do me a favor. Send me some pictures of Shane. Send me some videos. Let me put it on the podcast Twitter page, and let's get some people coming down, you know, talk about the podcast, whatever. He writes back instantly, Shane, instantly says, yes. What do you want him to say? Shane, I wrote you probably one of the best promos I've ever written in my entire life. <laughs> I sent this motherfucker off to Chris at about 8 o'clock on Friday morning. And I understand you guys are busy. I never heard from him again. And I'm sitting here watching Mikey post some pictures with Jerry Lynn and Francine. And I finally got a chance to see a glimpse of you and some fan video that he was walking around the showroom floor. And I got to, I was like, oh, there he is. There's, there's the franchise. So that was all I got to see of you, but it, it just it looked really cool to see you guys just all catching up, and especially now with you and Francine getting back together on the uh, on the circuit, if you will. Uh, just so cool. Now, was that something that the fans really took to, was the two of you being in the same room together and uh, and having these chances to get these photo ops with you and Francine? Yeah, they, you know, there was a lot of excitement, and uh, you know the fans moving around there, but I, it wasn't just me and Francine, although there was excitement there. I think they were excited to see you know, four ECW people were, you know, right there. And, you know, the fans would walk by and, you know, even the ones that didn't stop and, and say, like, you could see them like talking amongst themselves. And, you know, there's, there's something special, you know, whatever one of us can put our finger on it. I wish I could figure it out because, uh, you know, I'd bottle it and sell it, but there was something about ECW, whether it was the time frame it was in or the reflection of the industry at the time, that, it, that it, it was in business, that the fans 
really latched on to. And you see these fans going through and talking. There was nobody that walked by those tables and was nonchalant and walked by and paid no attention. Uh, but the fans that stopped and talked, and there were thousands of them, uh, you know, they you could hear all four of us at once talking to different people. And each of these, you know, fans were bringing up very specific points. If they were talking to Mikey about something Mikey had done, talking to Jerry about something Jerry had done, talking to Franny about something Franny had done, or to me, likewise, or uh, about all four of us or the interactions between all four of us in ECW. Um, you know, it's whatever the lightning in, you know, in the bottle was, that was ECW. I'm proud to have been part of it. And this past weekend just sort of emboldened that because like I said, anytime you put any, you know, take any of the ECW personnel, and put them in a room someplace and you'll instantly see a chemistry and a bond there. Uh, and I had never seen that anywhere before or since in my time in the industry. But it, it, the reason it sits so strongly with me is because breaking in under Dominic Tanucci, these were the stories that I heard Dominic telling, you know, about their time on the road and, you know, how they traveled mostly by car and, you know, the, the camaraderie that they experienced. So when I went into the industry from that, hearing those stories from Dominic way back as a kid, that's what I expected in the business, and I never saw it until ECW. And, you know, I, I cherish that time. I, you know, we were all talking this past week and saying, you know, anywhere else that I was ever on the road in the business. Now, when I was a young kid, you know, everything was magic to me. But once I got, you know, in the business, a few years in the business, you know, going to work was going to work. You know, when you had time off, you cherished it. You looked forward to the time off and sort of, not dreaded, but just, uh, I got to go back on the road tomorrow. In ECW, and we all agreed this past week talking about it, you know, like on Wednesday of that week, you start thinking, oh, man, in two more days I get to go on the road. You know, you look forward to it and couldn't wait to get there. Uh, that was ECW. And, again, whatever magic in the bottle it was, uh, I'm, I'm, we're, I think we're all glad. I think I speak for all of us in saying that we all feel extremely fortunate, no pun intended, to have been part of it. No, it's great, and, and it's, I think it's indicative of all the people that you came in contact with, and even the ones that John and I have gotten to work with. I mean, I, I can safely say that I think the most friendly guys are all those, you know, quote, ECW originals, and the people that we've worked with that have treated us well and respected us, and, and you almost feel like you were there in ECW because you're so welcomed right off the bat. I mean, guys like Jerry Lynn, I mean, what a stellar human being he is. And, yeah, and Mikey yeah, right. and, and in John and Joey Styles instantly like, like created this little friendship. So it's like, it's those ECW guys, you see that you guys had that camaraderie and that, that bond going. Um, but I got to ask you this though. I mean, whether uh, big Hughes was working me or not, uh, what the hell was that ride? Like uh, heading to, New Orleans, obviously riding back is going to be a little bit uh, less stressful, but getting there, how was that ride uh, traveling out to uh, New Orleans? Well, going down, I was a little bit pissed because the reason, you know, I, I could fly if I wanted, but the reason I drove was because I didn't want Moose to have to drive by himself or, you know, so I get to, to his to his house, Moose, you know, being my manager, and, uh, you know, there's a congregation of people there, and, you know, then they're telling him we're going to pick this van up at the Huntington Airport, and 
you know, it was you know, clearly put together that there's a shitload of us going. Uh, you know, and I was a little bit ticked off initially thinking, like, damn, I could have flown to you. It would have been fine anyway. But i tell you what, we had a blast driving down and back, you know, just telling stories and, and you know, just cutting up the whole time, sleeping if you wanted to because there were so many people that could drive, et cetera. Uh, it really was, a, you know, a, a, a fun time in driving. You know, it's me, I, I'm to the point in my career where, you know, I can fly, I can drive. But for me, with all the TSA stuff and all the rest of the it seems like the last 10 times I've flown, there's always some BS associated to it. Flight is canceled, uh, delayed, uh, too many people on the flight. Uh, you got to go through TSA and go through that rigmarole. Hey, look, I'll say this up front. I want to be clear about this. In Pittsburgh, the TSA people are fantastic. And I don't know if it's because they've known me for so many years going through there, but they're professional. They do their job well, uh, and they're not dicks about it. Like you see in so many other places, you, know, you go through there and you get treated like you're a terrorist, um, which, you know, for me just turns me off to the whole flying thing. And so, like, if I have to drive, that's fine. As long as I have people in the car to cut up with or whatever. Yeah, you guys know Moose. I mean, he's sort of droll and, you know, uh, boring to be with, all, all kidding aside. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so you know, we had a lot – a good. we had about nine of us uh, packed into this huge, like, mini bus. And, you know, it was uh, – <laughs> it, it took me back to all those days of being on the road, like in the WWE in Europe and – traveling by bus and, and, and cutting up and being able to have a shitload of fun during it. So although it was long, it was a shitload of fun. Now, were you able to, obviously, House of Hardcore, uh, notwithstanding, but were you able to see any of the other shows? Because it seemed like there was about 20, 30 other shows outside of WrestleMania that weekend. Well, there were a ton of shows. Uh, I, I was at two of them, uh, the House of Hardcore and I, Dropped in on uh, 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 Luke Cox's uh, Federation. I just was walking by and heard there was a wrestling show going on, so I decided to pop in to see what was going on and say hello to a couple old friends and uh, and have some fun, if you will. Uh, but I had heard about a lot of uh, pretty much all of the other shows because between the group of people we went down with, most of the guys were on on a nightly basis going to one or more of those shows. So we were getting the feedback on a lot of them, or I was getting the feedback on a lot of them. Uh, and it sounded like they all did well. Uh, you know, the, the, from, you know, sell, I know ring of honor did a sellout at the UNO, uh, 6,000 people, which is fantastic. Uh, the night before, uh, the house of hardcore show, there was another show that the guys all went to that sold out 3000 at the, at the sugar mill. Uh, I didn't hear of any of the shows not doing well. And to me, that's the bellwether. Like I've always said, a rising tide rises all ships. And I got to experience the industry when it was at its apex, you know, when there were 40, 50 million fans tuning in weekly. Uh, so to see that coming back now after so many years of dry spell, you know, tells me that those wrestling fans are all still in existence out there and they're all still dying to see what that next big thing is, you know, so it's great for everybody. I mean, we all knew WrestleMania was going to do well. It's going to do well if you had a broomstick versus a mop. Uh, but 
to see all those independent shows, like you said, there were a plethora of them, all doing well, all drawing well, and all the fans being excited through all of them uh, is astounding. The House of Hardcore show started late, 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. We got out of the building around 2, 2.30, uh, and those fans, you could tell were getting tired. You know, the, the, you could tell they'd been in multiple shows, but the guys uh, put on a hell of a show and really got the fans up and kept them up. You know, it, it, albeit you could see they were getting tired, but the fans were still engaged and still involved. Pretty cool to see all those shows selling out and having big crowds, and the crowds are into it no matter what time of day. You know, obviously a lot of weird times because there were so many different promotions that were running. And I happened to see uh, a little highlight of Mikey Whipwreck in jeans and Timberland Boots doing a Mike and Frankie, the Frankensteiner. Yep. Did you happen to see that? Were you able to catch any of that? Because that was a pretty, uh, pretty uh, memorable moment from WrestleMania weekend, for me anyway. Uh, all I can say, I didn't see it. I, I wasn't at that show, but I, you know, all day long, Mikey was saying, I ain't going to do shit. I'm not doing anything. I, you know, my wife will kill me, blah, blah, blah. And then they come back and the first, everything. Thirty first thirty seconds, Mikey's doing the Frankensteiner and he's doing this and he's doing that and all the rest of the stuff. But you know, that again I think speaks to that ECW aura, you know, that the guys, all of us, you know, and you put us in front of a crowd, wanna perform and uh you know, the next day, the whole day Mikey's going, Oh, my back hurts, my my knees hurt, my this hurt, my that hurts. And uh, you know, but it's it's so Perfectly Mikey Whipwreck. You know, it, it is so fitting for Mikey Whipwreck to have done that. Uh, you know, and from what I hear, it was pretty well done. You know, the, the fans got excited, uh, got popped, and, you know, that's that's what it's all about is exciting the crowd and giving the fans their money's worth, uh, like Bill Watts taught me so many years ago. So Bill Watts is actually at WrestleCon. He was with AWE. He was signing, I guess, either for one or two days. What was the interaction like with him? Because I was pretty surprised to see that he was even there. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I went over to see him. He and Eric uh, Watts were there. Uh, uh, you know, the promotion that brought them in also brought in Barry Windham and J.J. Dillon and uh, Ryback, uh, uh, you know, a whole bunch of guys. And, you know, the, the, the fans were literally congregating everywhere. There, were, there was nowhere you could go. In fact, I, I refused after a while to leave the table because if I wanted to walk over 20 yards away and see Jake, that was a 30-minute walk because it took so much time to work your way through the crowd. It was really, really thick, the crowds, which is great. But I did make my way over. I made it a point to go over and see Bill as soon as Bill got there because the only other time I'd seen Bill since uh, uh, the WWF run uh, when he last booked there, uh, when I was there in 96. Uh, so I went over early in the morning the, the first day, Friday after, Friday morning, I went over as soon as I heard he was there and you know, started catching up with him. And I told him, the first thing I said to him was, Bill, your ears should always be burning because every <laughs> time – I, I talked to anybody, whether it's a seminar or an interview. I mean, how many times you guys heard me say, Bill Watts taught me this. I learned this from Bill Watts. Bill Watts used to say, 
And he laughed. He looked at me and he goes, well, it's about damn time you picked it up. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, just, just typical Bill. But then he, then he said, no, but be serious. He, and, and I was floored at this because, you know, I don't want to make it sound like Bill's a jerk or anything. I mean, that, that's not, you know, the point is, is that Bill was such a rough and gruff guy. And like that, you know, we'd all had coaches like that when we were younger. But, you know, Bill was not one to dispense compliments. That was not something Bill did. Because Bill always believed that you could get better. There was something more for you to learn. And right after he said that about, you know, being time that I finally picked it up, he said, no, all, all, all bullshitting aside, uh, he said, the reason I was hard on you was because I could see it, that you had it, and that you could be something in the business. And he said, that's why I rode you hard. And like I walked away saying, like, holy shit, that was, was that like, like a compliment from Bill, Bill Watts? I have an immense amount of respect for Bill Watts today because of what I learned working in the UWF, learning from all those times he screamed at me as a kid that I hated then. I look back to now and think those much of my formative years being spent there, uh, learning under Bill Watts and working with some incredible talent in the UWF. Uh, I don't know, had I not broken in there and broken in somewhere else, would I have learned those same things? And those were the foundation that I built a career on that the franchise uh, was stemmed from. So to me, as much as Dominic Danucci teaching me how to wrestle, uh, Bill Watts was as instrumental, if not more so, in teaching me how to be a wrestler, how to be a, a star talent. And I will be eternally grateful to him for that and told him that, uh, you know, and, you know, gave me his phone number and I plan to keep in touch with Bill and, and, uh, you know, hopefully learn some more from him. Cause I know there's a lot more in that head that he, that he didn't teach me yet. So I'm going to, I'm going to wean it out of there one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> Great to catch up with all the old legends. And it's pretty cool that Bill Watts was there, but there's a little bit of controversy, uh, at the show and involving Jake the snake Roberts and Davy boy Smith jr. You know, we hear all these different things about uh, he threw coffee at him and Jake was scolded and all sorts of stuff. What actually did happen? I know we were talking about a little bit off there, but what really did happen with Jake and Davey Jr.? Well, I, I didn't see it. Uh, Jake was uh, a row over from me and on the other side of the room. So, you know, a, a pretty good distance, probably 30, 40 yards away from where I was. But again, with the, the thickness of the crowds both days, it would have taken me probably 30 minutes to make my way over there had I known something was going on. But the story that I had heard was that uh, Harry Smith had walked up to him to shake his hand, and when he reached his hand out, he pulled his hand back and threw hot coffee in his face. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. My understanding, the buzz around the room was that there were people that had videos and pictures and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I didn't get a chance to speak to Jake about it. Uh, I did speak to other people that claimed to have seen it. Uh, you know, you can imagine it was, you know, within minutes it was buzzing around the room. And uh, my understanding from what I was hearing, you know, the different stories, you know, there were, you know, you can imagine after something like that happening, there were these litany of stories going around. But my understanding is that Jake had apparently said something in an interview or, uh, in a promo somewhere and, and had said something derogatory about uh, Harry Smith's dad, Davy Boy, 
Smith and uh and Harry took umbrage with that and 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 responded um I hope it can get worked out for both case, both cases because you know I I have a lot of respect for Jake and and everybody knows Jake has a lot of skeletons in his closet uh I've got some in mind what human being doesn't uh for Harry I've known Harry God, since he was a, a, a kid, and he's always been extremely respectful. He's always been, you know, just a good guy. Uh, so I, I find it shocking, and, I, you know, I can sort of put myself in the thought process, but I, it, it's hard for me to ascertain in a room full of people like this something like that happening. Uh, so, you know, whatever it is, I hope it works out for both cases that, you know, somehow they can resolve this and, and move on from it and that there's no repercussion from it. Because, as you know, today in today's world where litigation is so quick to go to, you fart in my direction and I'm suing you. Um, I would hope that that would be the route that gets taken, uh, you know, for either case. You know, so, uh, I, like I said, I didn't see it. I heard several versions of the stories and the, the information I'm giving here is sort of the, uh, what I heard, you know, that cross reference through most, all of the stories. Um, but I, I did see Harry Smith that later that night at the house of hardcore show as polite and respectful as he'd ever been. Um, didn't seem worried or nervous about anything. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping, like I said, that, you know, the better angels can can prevail here and, and find some common ground. Because like I said before, look, anybody that's been in this business for any length of time, you can find somebody out there to say that person's a saint. And you can find an equal number of people to say that guy's the biggest jerk I've ever met in my life. Uh, that's the nature of this business. Uh, so, you know, it's, I, like I said, I, I have an affinity and respect for both guys. And certainly for Harry's dad and David Boy and I were great friends. Uh, so I'm hoping for, for both parties that they can find some common ground to, you know, not saying they have to love each other or like each other, but to find some common ground to coexist and to, uh, so that nobody ends up with any legal hassles or whatever else. It's just one of those things that happens in this business that typically happen in general in the dressing room, you know, and, and get resolved there. Uh, without the fans seeing and without the world knowing. And, you know, this one, unfortunately, took place in front of the world's eyes and, and a shitload of fans' eyes. So, I, I, like I said, I just hope for all parties involved that it can get resolved in some amicable way that uh, that they can agree to find common ground, albeit if they can't find ground to agree completely. Now, have you, uh, maybe with Taz or somebody, you had an issue with him, and you, you just threw scalding hot coffee in his face. Did that ever happen uh, backstage at <laughs> ECW? No, there. You know, there were a few times that you know that that, that my temper got the better of me, and uh, you know we won't go to those here, but they'll come out at some point, I'm sure. But uh, uh, yeah, you know that that happens. You know, when you you've got a room full of big egos, right, and a dressing room full of huge egos, you can't be in this business if you don't have that. And it, it points those egos knock heads. Uh, you know, it happens. And, 
in hindsight, you look back at most of them, look back and think, boy, it was silly that I got that angry over that. But uh, at the time, you know, when you're really trying to stake out your ground, uh, because the ground you stake out is the ground you, you make your living from. And so when somebody else sort of steps into that, what you consider your hegemony, uh, suddenly, you know, you, you find yourself getting a little bit hotter than you might normally in the, in the wrestling business. So, no, I never threw hot coffee in anybody's face. I did one time spit a big loogie in a fan's face. And as soon as I did it, I felt so guilty because, you know, at the end of a match, you get all this mucus and stuff built up in this uh, fan in the ECW arena. It was, you know, there's always that one voice you pick on the audience. And this guy was rotting my ass the whole match. You suck. You're a piece of shit. You're about rah, 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 rah. And I came out of the ring after the match, and I'm walking out. He's scream- still screaming. He's right by the entrance. You know, right by that post as you come down the aisleway from the uh, the entrance way from ACW Arena, and not even think I, I hurled all that up and spat. I, I meant to spit past him, and instead this big ball of mucus comes out of my mouth and hits him in the eyebrow, and then proceeds to like swing about three feet off his eyebrow. As soon as I walk over, I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry." <laughs> And I'm wiping off his, <laughs> off his face. I'm like, oh, I felt like a real jackass. You know, it was not my intention, but that's the kind of stuff that happens when you let your temper out of the bag. And I just thought of this, too. And, uh, Chad, I know you were thinking this as well. The There was a fan, I guess it was a week ago or so, there was a fan that was in in the crowd and with his with his daughter, and, you know, they're saying something typical indie show where, the, you know, the kids are really into it and stuff, and this guy spit basically on or near the guy's daughter. The guy just, you know, the father goes nuts and literally starts punching and beating up the wrestler. The wrestler basically like ran away. Yeah. Did, did you happen to see that on YouTube or catch that video? I did not see that. No. Who was it? Who was the wrestler? I honestly, I don't even know. It's some small time indie league and it kind of went viral because the father was able to beat the guy up and the guy kind of ran away. <laughs> Well, I can assure you that that, there was one incident when that happened to be in ECW in Allentown. And it was the match where Beulah McGillicuddy pinned me. And it was a mixed tag between me and Francine and Tommy Dreamer and Beulah. And Beulah pins me. And afterwards, we, we beat them down over getting heat and Rick Root hits the ring. Well, we powder out the back of the ring. And split up, uh, you know, I always told Franny, stay near me because I can't defend you if you're 20 yards away from me. Well, I hightailed it out because Rick Rude was a little high strung if you didn't, didn't already know that. <laughs> and I get back to the entranceway and I look around in the alleyway and Francine's nowhere to be found. And I look back to the ring and I can see Rude's face beat red and he's screaming, get your bitch out of here. And Franny's stuck on the backside of the ring. So I'm screaming, like, Franny, let's go, let's go. And I'm not paying any attention to the crowd. And the Allentown entranceway, when you came in, it was real wide by the dressing room, probably 20 feet wide. And then it got tighter and tighter as you got to the ring area. Well, I'm to the area where it's pretty tight, and I'm not paying any attention to the fans. I'm yelling at Franny, and I see this young 15-year-old, 14-year-old blonde girl and she spits a hawker right in my face. <laughs> I looked at her and I, and I said, what the fuck are you thinking? 
And where did I said that? This big, fat, I mean, obese, fat piece of shit next to her starts <laughs> hurling one up. And I turn my face and he spits at me and then he sucker punches me twice in the face. And goes to run the audience. Well, instinctively, I jumped the railing and I bear on the guy to stop him from disappearing. I wanted him arrested. And uh, my security guy, in ECW, we all had a security detail assigned to us. Mine was a big guy, six foot seven, you know, huge guy. And he grabbed me as they were instructed from behind, bear hugged me and pinned my arms down so I couldn't hit somebody even if I wanted to. And this big fat guy turns around and he starts kicking me with steel toe boots in the ribs. And my guy, Joe, realizes what's happening. He turns me around, still in a bear hug from behind, and bends me over the railing. And the guy continues to kick me in my right elbow. And sometime I'll show you the nice eight-inch scar I have on my elbow from that. Uh, And, you know, as this is all going on, the word gets to the dressing room. And the boys come out, come pouring out. Again, the family. Now, I remember Perry Saturn and, and Tracy Smothers grabbed me by the hair and pulling me over the railing, and the boys made a circle around me and, to defend me. And uh, I get taken to the hospital. I'm spitting up blood. Can't catch my breath. There's two Allentown police officers. I can see the Allentown Police Department badge on their hats and on their shirts. And, and I keep telling them I'm pressing charges, I'm pressing charges. Well, as I'm being taken out on the gurney in the amp, to the ambulance, I'm spitting up blood. They think I've punctured a lung. And I see the cops have this guy by the arm. And I took the oxygen mask off and struggled. I said, that's the son of a bitch that attacked me. I'm pressing charges. I get taken in the ambulance. Uh, uh, Michael Farron, who was one of the ECW personnel, went with me. I had him have the ambulance call back to the building to confirm again that I was pressing charges. So I get to the hospital, get tended to go back home. Like a month goes by, I haven't heard a word. So I called the Allentown uh, uh, courthouse and they put me through to the uh, uh, district attorney's office and I tell them who I am and the lady tells them, oh, we, you know, we, we didn't have a contact for you. We need your address. So I give it to them. A couple of days later, I get a thing in the mail, summons in the mail that charges are pending against me. So I called him and I said, you guys have this all wrong. This guy attacked me. And uh, well, long and short, we go through this big, long legal process. And ECW insurance companies and the Allentown Ag Hall insurance, uh, you know, agree to give this piece of shit something. And Paul Heyman calls him one day and says, uh, you know, the Ag Hall is going to put in this much and ECW insurance is going to put in this much. And the judge would like to know how much you're going to put in. I said, that fucking judge can kiss my ass. I'm not putting shit in for that piece of shit. He attacked me. That fucking piece of shit should die. And Paul says, well, you can tell the judge yourself because he's online. It was a three-way call. <laughs> but I think the judge heard in my voice that I was so direct about it that, you know, I wasn't going to try to cover my ass, Paul, or anything like that. I was insistent I wouldn't pay that piece of shit anything, and I didn't pay him anything. But the, the little epitaph to that story is, as we went to the hearing, the assistant DA, uh, the, the lady that was prosecuting the case, she had long, dark hair. And 
she gets on the stand under oath and says that I called that office and said that I knew I was in deep trouble. What could they do? I, I knew I was in deep trouble for attacking that guy. And what could they do to help me cover my ass? Those words were never spoken. First of all, why would I call an assistant DA and say something like that and implicate myself? So after the hearing, uh, I'm, I'm going to fly back to Pittsburgh and you know, I've got been all day in this thing. And I see a subway shop on the opposite corner from the courthouse. So I decided to go over and get a sandwich before I go to the airport. As I'm at the crosswalk waiting for the light to turn, this bimbo comes walking up next to me with a couple other people. And you know me, not able to hold my mouth, right? So I said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself as an officer of the court lying like that on the stand under oath. Strike me dead on my mother and father's grave. This woman spun to me and said, I did what I had to do to get by. You should have done the same. So now you can understand a little little more insight as to why I don't exactly trust government. They're all pieces <laughs> of shit. An interesting stump the franchise fact. Just incredible and Mikey Whipwreck have less wins combined, which is zero, against franchise than Beulah, which is pretty crazy. Really? <laughs> yes. None of none of them ever beat me. Nope, not that I could find. I, and I, lo- I tried to look at uh, all the matches, and I even asked PJ. He said he can't remember. He knew that you guys had a couple schmas finishes, but he's like, yeah, I don't know if I've ever beat Shane as far as ECW. I, I was a badass. See, you know, it, yeah. it, it's, it's like a rib. As you guys notice on Twitter, you get on Twitter and every day. On this day, 23 years ago, Shane Douglas lost to so-and-so. And on this day, 12 years ago, Shane Douglas lost. <laughs> I said, like, it's like an ongoing rib. Like, I did win a few matches in my career. I swear I did. Uh, <laughs> but if you listen to Twitter, I was a jobber. <laughs> my favorite thing on Twitter, and I, I know you've seen it a, a few times, it's when you and Dean Malenko come out um, oh. when you guys were in the revolution and you go to give him the fist pound and he totally ignores you. He's left me hanging for like 20, 20 plus years. It's brutal. He, uh, you know, the, 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 we were talking about this past weekend with Mikey, in fact, because he brought that up. And, uh, you know, back then in, in, with the revolution, we used to do the thing. I'd have a live mic backstage, right? And I'd start the promo there, and we'd come to the curtain. So, you know, you're on the road back then. You're on the road for weeks on end, and you're exhausted and tired and running around. And I forget where we were, but I – you know, the first thing was, hey, fill in the blank of whatever town you're in. Hey, Pittsburgh, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, we come to the curtain. So I have a microphone. I'm walking behind Dean. And I was said, hey, Chicago. And he turned around and said, we're in Minneapolis, you dumbass. <laughs> I started, hey, Minneapolis. And kept kept right on going. But it always reminds me every time I see that video of him leaving me. So, Dean, if you're listening out there, for God's sakes, give me a fist bump sometime. You're killing me, kid. <laughs> well, it, it's either going to be that, uh, you know, that little gif, or it's going to be uh, the picture of you guys in the fanny packs, which uh, that is another one that pops up at least two or three times a week. That the, the fanny pack picture is uh, that's one of only three that I know of of the three of us together, uh, me, Chris, and Dean, as the the original triple threat. I've only ever seen three pictures of the three of us together, and. Uh, if, if it's the one I'm thinking you're talking about, is it outside of a TV station 
Yeah, you're outside. You guys are all uh, standing in your infinite glory with those, uh, you know, big smiles and big old gimmicks around the waist. So, yeah, that's the one that you're thinking of. (laughs) We're all wearing our Zubas and our gargoyle sunglasses and and our fanny packs. Hey, I I, I go back again. The, The sexiest man in the world last year, as as surmised by GQ magazine, is wearing a fanny pack. So that's all I'm going to say. You can make fun of it if you like, but I've worn one all this time, and it, like they say, you don't teach an old dog new tricks. At at 39 years old, there's no way in the world they're going to teach me to start stop wearing a fanny pack. <laughs> but but mine is mine is imported water buffalo from Africa. So it's not exactly your run-of-the-mill fanny pack. It is the coolest fanny pack of fanny packs. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Hey, but, Shane, it's 2018, and, you know, you can be accepted for having a uh, bag over your shoulder or, uh, you know, maybe a nice hot pink one that you can throw over with a pat, uh, pair of earrings that match, you know. 2018, all this stuff is fair game now. So, you know, you don't have to worry about that. The Zubaz might have matched the fanny pack back then, but now – all bets are off. Anything matches. Maybe a little, maybe a little mascara and rouge too. I mean, it's it's all, <laughs> hey, it's all cool. I mean, it's uh, what the hell? I'm I'm hip. Hell, it's, I like the, I like the woman that comes to identifying, right? Because hey, we've all been in men's rooms, especially public restrooms, right? They're all always piss or pubic hairs on the on the toilet seat and you know stuff like that. So. Eh, you know, women's rooms are usually a lot cleaner and a lot nicer. And you know, I'm going to put the <laughs> franchise's cheeks some down somewhere. It's uh, I'd rather have the uh, nice clean toilet seat than the uh, than the pubic hair and piss filled toilet seat. So <laughs> I occasionally identify with being a woman if you get my drift. <laughs> yes, yes, I can feel that. I I, I would agree. Uh, but you know, the, we got to hit. WrestleMania here, so obviously that was going on in New Orleans. If you didn't, oh, know. that's right, um, that was this past weekend, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, and I said it might have started <laughs> somewhere on Friday morning and ended anywhere between uh, twelve midnight and uh, three o'clock Eastern on Monday. With how <laughs> goddamn long this show was. Now, I personally did not watch uh, much of WrestleMania because uh, it's baseball season. The Mets are back, and quite frankly, the WWE product doesn't really interest me. So I was tied up in a in a very uh, very tight and intense Met game on uh, Sunday night. But Shane, uh, did you get a chance to watch this uh, show of shows? I mean, and I say that just from length uh, while you were down there in New Orleans. I did not get a chance to watch it. You know, the entire entourage I was with went, of course, including. Mikey Whipwreck, uh, uh, Geraldine had flown out earlier that day, Moose, all those guys went. I was busy uh, working online. I had a lot of stuff to do online. and uh, But I you know, obviously had gotten reports immediately after and have since gone back and looked at the highlights. Um, the, the noteworthy is the fact that WrestleMania has now set the all-time attendance record at the Superdome, which is impressive. Uh, you know, again, it goes back to what I said about WrestleMania being what it is. It's a, it's an annual event. People that aren't that aren't even wrestling fans will tune in because it's like a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, and, and they had from my from the reports that I was getting, they had several uh, 
things that were exemplary, as you would expect for a WrestleMania, and they had several things from my perusal that were the shits. You know, so you know, take you know, choose your poison. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is, and I I think from from what I'm seeing and from the, the you know the videos that I've seen of it and the reports that I've gotten from those that were in attendance in my entourage, uh, there were several matches that were quite worthy of being a WrestleMania and several others that would cause you to raise an eyebrow and go up. Oh, that's what I would expect from the WWE. You know, it's, uh, it's, you know, sort of a compendium of things, you know, no show, or I should say very few shows hit all home runs. But, you know, some of these were, and we'll get into them here in a second, but some of these were a little bit less than, than you know, even a, 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 a bunt, I, I guess you would call it. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'd rather start with the high spots. You know, the, the AJ Styles uh, Nakamura match, I, I, I thought as good, it was a fantastic match, especially by WWE standards today. But, I expected a little bit more from those guys uh, just because they are who they are, AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, you know, you, you expect a, you know, a six-star match out of a five-star competitor. Maybe that's unfair to, to judge at that level, but with it being WrestleMania and with it being these two guys, um, you know, again, I give it four and a half stars based on what I'd seen, I didn't watch the entire match, but on the high spots that I'd seen from the match, it was what you'd expect. So I've got such high esteem for both guys. I expected a little bit more. That may be an unfair way to judge something. Yeah, that seems to be the the consensus. And and John, I, I'm going to pick your brain a minute about it. That that, that Nakamura-AJ match uh, didn't really live up to the hype that I think you know, it's kind of the way if I go in and watch any kind of wrestling or really anything, I'm going in with low expectations now because it's never going to live up to it. And it seems like the Nakamura-AJ match kind of fit that bill. I mean, but there's there's a lot to dissect, and there's some stuff I'm literally dying to hear you talk about. But I want to ask John about this. Because, John, you've seen AJ and Nakamura many, many times. So is, uh, is Shane kind of on the money with that? Was that a match that definitely uh, did not live up to the, uh, I think, the perceived hype that we all thought it was going to be another one of those epic mania matches. Well, definitely not. If you've ever seen the wrestle kingdom match that they've had, it was uh, rated very yeah. high by Meltzer, but I would have probably given it definitely five stars. If I was you know, rating that match, unbelievable match. Uh, the pacing was better. It was uh, more hard hitting. It was faster. For whatever reason, this match was slower. I'm not sure if they had uh, the producer or Vince, whoever's telling them to work a little slower be a little bit more methodical, don't take away from, you know, uh, Reigns and Lesnar, I have to follow you. I'm not sure if any of that goes into play as well. Shane, I think you would probably know better than me. Is that ever said, like, you know, like, hey, AJ Nakamura, you guys can have the best match on the card, but go down out there and slow it down because Lesnar Reigns are, is going to have to follow you? I, I don't, yeah, it's it's quite possible there. Um, in most places else I'd work. Uh, they wouldn't say that, you know, the, the thing like Bill, Watts, again, here we go. Bill Watts, uh, Bill Watts would say, well, if those guys are supposed to follow you and they're, and they're in the top spot, then they ought to be able to follow you in the top spot. 
uh, he'd, he'd tell you to go out there and tear the house down and challenge them to top it. Uh, but the WWE is a different beast, and it's quite likely. I don't know. I have no inside information. I haven't spoken to anybody, uh, any of my friends from there, but it's quite likely they would say, hey, you know, keep a lid on it, whatever. Uh, I, I don't know. But I, the, the first thing that I noticed in the clips that I the clips that I watched was that AJ comes to the curtain and the font is wrong. And like to me, that's something <laughs> you'd expect in TNA. You know, that's yeah. that's not something you'd expect for the WWE. Uh, and my understanding is, and just doing some quick research today online, is that this has been happening quite frequently. You know, over the last several weeks or months, and. You know, to me, there's no excuse for that. You never see in a Super Bowl Ben Roethlisberger going walking out and them calling him, you know, Johnny Manziel. Uh, you know, it's you know the NFL hits it, nails it, and I don't know if they're cutting corners there or whatever. I mean, you know, everybody's human being, right? But if this has been happening happening consistently, there's no excuse for it to happen at something like a WrestleMania. I mean, those fonts are what they are. You know, you, 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 they're typed out, and you've got a computer list to draw from. And if you don't know what AJ Styles is going out, then you shouldn't be with the company. Yeah, it's preloaded in there. I thought that was funny. I didn't catch it like kind of like when he first came out. And then uh, my buddy Dave, who was watching with, he's like, "Oh my God, Universal Champ! What the?" I was like, "Yeah, okay." I was like, "What?" A, <laughs> well, I didn't even you know, know that. A, I didn't even know that happened. Yeah, yeah, what a fuck up! Like, oh my god, this is WrestleMania! Like, yeah, come on! Right like, I now, obviously, I've done some TV production. I've done some, you know, directing a little bit. Uh, nothing mm-hmm. major, more of like a on like a local TV station. But all that stuff is preloaded. You tell the guy, okay, hit the graphic, blah blah. So <laughs> whoever loaded it in there is a complete idiot. Right? And, um, you know, it's not really on Kevin Dunn to kind of like notice it, but the guy should be professional enough to know. Oh yeah, AJ the WWE World Champion, not the Universal Champion. Like, what a dope! Right, but I, I think that again, it goes back to what I'd heard before about up there. Whereas Vince used to have the 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 most professional group in wrestling when WCW was going against. I remember go, like flying down from Pittsburgh, and I'd be on the plane uh, from Pittsburgh down you know, to a WCW show, and there'd be production guys on the plane. And it was always a revolving door. There were a couple guys that were the same, but there were always a revolving door of people. And when I was in TNA, you know, I remember them coming to me and saying, you need to let the producers, the directors, and and the cameramen know, like, what all the spots are going to be so they can get it. And I thought, wait a second. If this was a live sport, they couldn't just catch it? You know, it's uh, (laughs) that kind of thing. And Vince always had the best of the best. They never used to miss anything everything was caught on camera. And and so now like what I'm hearing now is that they're doing the same type of thing, the revolving door and who's cheapest, who's available. And if that's the case, then we saw a reflection of that with something as simple as the font being put up under AJ Styles as he goes out with the uh, misidentified uh, title, which to me is just so unprofessional and so beneath something Forget, say it's a Monday Night Raw. That's unprofessional for that. But for a WrestleMania, simply should never happen. 
so no, it, uh, yeah, weird. There's no way. I, I didn't even hear that. I'm shocked that that even happened. I didn't even hear that. Yeah, it's it was a that was a very uh, minor league TNA esque style fuck up. <laughs> you know, but I got to ask you this, Jane. I mean, this is uh, the other thing that I think is a huge takeaway. Uh, the Undertaker appearance was really cool, but everybody's talking about Ronda Rousey. And I'm going to dial it back yeah. to what we were talking in January when she debuted and when she was rumored to have been signed. You had said that day, you said, you know, let's see how it's developing. Let's see what they do to get her ready to step between the ropes because it's not just the person of Ronda Rousey coming into the wrestling world, the fighter coming into the wrestling world. She's got to see, you know, put in the work and the lead up was brutal. I mean, the, the lead-up looked like it was going to be the biggest flop in the history of the company because, <laughs> I mean, she just looked like she was, um, and this is all in the lead-up, like she just looked very rigid. She looked very uh, dry. Right. She looked very nervous. She looked like a mark out there. And to be quite honest, now I didn't really watch a lot of Mania, but I saw her, and I was so impressed. And this is the same thing John told me, too. Just Everybody was so impressed by, I think, how quick she was and everything. But did you get to see Rhonda and, and the show that she put on? I did. Again, it was, it, was, it was a grouping of clips that I saw of the match. I didn't watch the entire thing. But the parts that I saw, uh, you know, I probably watched four or five minutes of the match. She, she looked very impressive. And it was obvious that somebody had done some serious work with her because her it wasn't just her moves and the way she moved in the ring, which was very good. It was in her presence. You know, the you know, professional wrestling is, is all about presence. And you can't teach that to somebody. Now, let, I mean, let's face it. Ronda's had extensive experience in front of big crowds. So it didn't necessarily impress me that she was able to step out in front of a 70-some thousand uh, uh, venue and do well. Because she's done that before, I'm sure, if not that many people, enough people. You know, once an audience gets past five or 10,000 people, it could be a million people, it could be 20,000 people, it could be 5,000 people. Once it gets beyond a certain number, it's all the same thing. But the fact that she was able to do it in the, in the way that she did and her execution in doing it, like she had the poise, uh, she carried herself extraordinarily well for somebody making their debut. You know, I can't imagine if you said to me, Way back in the day, you're going to make your debut on WrestleMania, uh, you know, even attempting to execute at that kind of level. So kudos to her and whoever worked with her to prepare her for that match, because obviously somebody did. Um, you know, this isn't an, in, an easy industry to pick up. You know, as Steve Austin and I talked about in his podcast last year, uh, you know, it's, it, it takes quite a lot of time to really get it and master it. And in between those times that you were talking about when she first debuted, where she looked very hesitant and almost nervous, uh, at WrestleMania, the, the clips that I saw, she seemed to really carry herself on an extraordinary le- level for somebody that has not been performing for years in this business. Kudos to Ronda Rousey. Yeah, the bumps you know, that she took, she took a wicked shot. Uh, from Kurt Angle, um, you know, on a on a, uh, uh, a classic, you know, the heel moves out of the way, and Kurt Angle kind of leveled her, and she jumped, you know, right back up afterwards, and and I thought the recovery was well, and you know, and I, I'm gonna, I I never really ever said this, but I'm gonna tip my cap also to Stephanie McMahon for being the perfect foil 
for Ronda, kind of like how Vince was with Steve Austin. And, John, you know, you watched the show. You got to see a lot of it. Did you feel that Stephanie paired with Ronda and then you throw in Triple H and Kurt Angle, that that was almost uh, ended up being kind of that perfect storm to help get Ronda over? Yeah, I was, uh, was impressed with the match. I kind of had low expectations going in. Obviously, Ronda Rousey impressed me. Um, I felt like, you know, Angle obviously is what it is at this point with the neck injuries and everything else. But he's still, you know, he still can go a little bit. He still look good. Yeah. Blake, obviously, you know, he's in great physical shape. Stephanie's in good shape. Stephanie did a good job of playing a heel. But my only issue with Triple H and Stephanie was I almost felt like they got too much offense in the match. I almost felt like the match yeah. probably could have been a little bit shorter and cut off some of their offense. But like I don't know, the the heat. I, I could be wrong on this, and Shane, you would know better than anybody. The quote unquote the heel work of you know kind of getting beat up, getting the heat going, and really building up. I don't know. I felt like maybe they were had too much offense, and it wasn't as uh, believable as maybe it could have been. Well, it goes back to you know, like the, you know, the age-old thinking in this industry is if if I'm doing the job, then I'm going to get my stuff in before I do the job. And I think there might have been a bit of that at play. But I give Hunter his props too, and I <laughs> as much as I dislike doing it, uh, you know, he went out there and he also worked to get Ronda over. And you know that that is that's a, that's a sign of a pro. You know, to, to not go out there and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm Shane Douglas or Hunter Hearst Helmsley, and I'm going to just do what I have to do to you and then get to the right points in the match. Uh, but, I, but I agree. I think they, they, they could have cut that match down three, four minutes and got the same message across. And uh, I don't think anybody today would be sitting there and saying, you know, Hunter and, and Stephanie didn't shine enough or get enough going into it, whatever. Um, but the the only the only thing I have against the match, and, and this is just you know again my my takeaway you know imho and my honest opinion and my humbled opinion is that when in, in the gladiator sport that is professional wrestling, if I have somebody like a Kurt Angle or a Ronda Rousey that are world known names, renowned in shoot fighting Olympics professional wrestling and you've got on the other hand a executive from the company who's going out there i can't imagine you know uh dana white going out and holding his own against some of the top guys in the ufc or whatever and every time we see one of the man's and this is this is by no means an assessment of their work in the ring you know, Stephanie, I thought, took some great bumps in the match. Uh, uh, you know, every time we see Vince or Shane, you see an incredible bump. In Shane's case, you know, he works his ass off every time you see him. But storyline-wise, you know, you're taking a guy out of the office who wears a three-piece suit and gets driven to the office every day in a limousine, and he's able to get in there with the gladiators like a Ronda Rousey, who's, like I said, world-renowned from shoot fighting and an Olympic gold medalist, and somehow she's able to hold her own. Uh, I'd love to see any executive from Wall Street uh, or any <laughs> top CEO of a company step into the ring with some badass and hold their own. Ain't going to happen in any sport. And that's the only thing I take. Uh, that's, uh, you know, that's the purest in me. Uh, from the wrestling business that I've grown up and known and loved all my life. Uh, I just, that's the part of it that sort of falls 
the side to me. And I think that's what a lot of the wrestling fans, again, in my humble opinion, that's where the, the, uh, the reality of it sort of falls away uh, that you're trying to say, okay, here's, you know, this, this, let's face it, Stephanie's an attractive woman. uh, Certainly doesn't look like a badass in any, in, in any way, shape or form. And yet she's able to step into the ring with somebody who is a badass and hold her own for pieces of that match. Um, just, you know, falls short storyline-wise to me. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And, and one tru- there's one statement you made in there that could be furthest from the truth. Anything true that you've ever said on this show. And you said if they took away minutes from that match, then maybe the match would have been different. Uh, I don't know if you heard anything about WrestleMania, but they weren't taking minutes away from anything. A seven-hour <laughs> show. Jesus Christ, Shane, a seven-hour show. That beats the old taping schedule when they would tape four TVs in one day. Seven hours right. for WrestleMania. I mean, can you talk? The, the guys who went out for the Battle Royal, I mean, I, I, I completely feel they must have felt like such idiots that they were going out and working at 5 o'clock, and this show ended well past 12.30. So, I mean, is it too long, Shane, seven hours? Is that just incredibly insane or what? Yeah, look, I mean, just because it's your, 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 your marquee event of the year doesn't mean that if we just make it as long as we can possibly make it, it's going to make it better and get the people their money's worth. Uh, you know, to me, when I go see a movie, you know, and I, and I love getting my money's worth, obviously. But once it gets about that two-hour mark, you start, like, squirming in your chair and looking at your watch, well, when's this damn thing going to end, you know? It doesn't matter how good the movie is. Uh, to me, you know, the old thing in the wrestling business has always been less is more. And if you go out there and give those fans a three, three-and-a-half-hour show, it, let's say for WrestleMania you give them a four-hour show, there's not one fan that's going to walk away saying, I got gypped, I got screwed, I got you know, taking advantage of as a fan, they're going to walk out of there buzzing. But when you get to the point where you're giving them so much, they're exhausted. The last thing you want to see when your fans are walking out is that they look like they've just been through a marathon. And, you know, I was seeing, and again, like hearing from the entourage and guys that I was listening to the fans leaving, you know, like they were, it was quiet. They were saying it was quiet. Like there's nobody walking out there going, Right, yeah, it was you know fucking WrestleMania. It was like a sort of a subdued crowd, exhausted and tired. That's a bad sign to, in in my book, in my way of assessing. Uh, I'd much rather the fans walking out of there bouncing off the walls, wanting more, not going. Thank God that's finally over. Uh, you know, but I, you know, again, this being their their marquee event of the year, I understand where they're coming from on a thinking process. Let's get as many of our talents on there, men and women, we can get on this program, uh, et cetera. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, again, just go back to that adage, sometimes less is more. And a seven-hour show on nobody's book, is that a good thing? Just crazy. I mean, talk about taking you out of it, especially imagine being a kid and you can't stay up and watch it because you got school the next day and, I can remember, yeah. uh, you know, being a kid. WrestleMania Four was the first double cassette video when the video release came out. Okay, so I remember that being a big deal, and I believe that was up to four hours. And that was then they didn't yeah. go back to four hours for years. So I mean, like when it's when it's meaningful and it's doing something that you know different, 
it's really good, but seven hours is insane. Well, when you, I think the same thing when you look at Raw. You know, in this day and age, when we, we hear and we read that attention spans are shorter than yours was and shorter than mine was, uh, you know, is going, you know, when the fans at two hours are pretty much spent, and they say, now we're expanding to three. And then you watch that three hours, and you see them filling it up with all this rigmarole. You know, here's Shane Douglas walking down the back hall, picking his picking his ass, and here's so and so walking down the hall talking to somebody else, and yeah, you know, that kind of stuff is boring television to anybody watching it. On paper, it looks boring, and you know I remember like going back to ECW, not to keep invoking that, but just going back to that experience when I injured the elbow and was doing the color commentary with Joey. I remember watching Paul on a weekly basis agonizing over having to shave two seconds here, a second there, five seconds there, because we had to get it down. I think it was 46 minutes then was the, you know, you watch an hour program, you got 14 minutes of commercial and 46 minutes of content. And Paul would agonize over slicing frames from this segment or that segment. But then you go back and watch ECW today and you watch that those shows today, they're fast-paced, they're exciting, you're on the edge of your seat the entire time, and when it finishes, you're longing for more. You're not sitting there going, thank God that's over. You know, and I, I think that's what you get on Monday Night Raw every week, and I think that's what we saw in WrestleMania. I mean, on, who on paper looks at something that says seven hours is phenomenal? Uh, watching... You know, uh, you know, watch the greatest movie you've ever watched. You don't want to watch it for seven hours. The greatest concert you've ever seen, you don't want to watch it for seven hours. Uh, your kid being born, as as incredible as that is, you don't want to watch it for seven hours. Uh, you know, seven hours is a long ass time for any generation. And if we apply this generation today, being what we're being told, they have an attention span of a gnat. I can't imagine watching seven hours, you know, so I don't know who, you know, I, I mean, I do know who Vince is the end all be all the, the guy that answers all those questions and approves everything and, and passes everything as an edict from God almighty himself, Vince McMahon, seven hours on anybody's list is an abomination as far as time goes. And, uh, you know, I, I, I I, w- I want to hear from any fans. Please come into my Twitter and tell me, were you thrilled that it was seven hours, happy it was seven hours, or just damn pissed off and bored that it was seven hours? I don't know. I'd love to hear the fans. Uh, the fans may have been losers because of the length of the show, but I'm going to tell you who the biggest winner of WrestleMania is. Are you, are, do you want to know? Are you on the edge Please. of the seat? Please. The biggest winner of WrestleMania had nothing to do with the show. In fact, he wasn't even in New Orleans for WrestleCon. He's involved with the business, uh, but has gotten so much shit and flack, and we've talked about him on this show, and you've been linked to him in your career, but the biggest winner of WrestleMania Sunday is Vince Russo. And would you like to know why? (laughs) Please. Vince Russo has, and in my book, and in John's book, has been officially vindicated. And 
you could take David Arquette. You could take <laughs> I know where Viagra. You're going. <laughs> you could take Viagra on a pole. You could take uh, all the 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 crazy uh, random title changes. Uh, again, David Arquette. I'll just throw that one back out there. And in the famous words of the franchise, and they can all kiss Vince Russo's ass because <laughs> the biggest shit ever taken in the wrestling business happened on Sunday. When they put the tag team championship belt on a child picked out of the crowd yeah. Uh, yeah. in a tag team title match that was literally the co- it was the it was the the lead into the main event and, and this this match with Braun Strowman and you said it on this show you know if they're gonna put him in a chicken suit they're gonna give him the big bass fiddle they're gonna do all this stuff they're gonna castrate this guy and right. have him pick a kid out of the crowd. Uh, as his mystery partner, and win the tag team championship. I mean, to take a crap on anybody who's ever held those championship belts and and the work that especially those guys on the pre-show that were wrestling at 5 o'clock in the afternoon had to watch this kid Mm. win the World uh, World Tag Team Championship. Shane, I've been dying to hear what you have to say about it. Did you? What do you think? I mean, this is like, to me, I think it's just a big uh, insult and an albatross on wrestling. Well, my understanding, again, from the guys that went in my entourage, that they were saying that the audience sort of died after that, that it's sort of like you could feel the energy, like leave the room. Uh, look, we've heard for 18 years, right? Vince Russo is the worst thing ever to wrestling because we put a belt in David Arquette. Well, as much as I disagree with that decision, that was better than putting a belt on a 10-year-old kid. Uh, you know, better – my thought – as soon as I heard this was, what about Cesaro and Sheamus? <laughs> they got to go out and do a job to one guy that's got a 10-year-old kid as his, as his sidekick. Um, you know, the only way that could have worked, and this, this may sound terrible, but if you think it through, the only way that could have worked is if they had, uh, uh, you know, a kid that was a make-a-wish kid or uh, – kid that had been sick or something and then you bring him in and do something like that, I think it would have popped the crowd still would have been abhorred by wrestling purists but at least then you could have seen some you know some light at the end of the tunnel with it but again we've seen like you've mentioned in, in the way you led into this Vince Russo has been vilified for 18 years over the David Arquette thing and now we have this you know, but on, uh, but to be fair, let's throw some other stuff in here from the WrestleMania weekend. Uh, there was a show that shall go unnamed. You can find it, I'm sure, if you look, uh, where they had the Invisible Man come out and win a battle royal. And, like, again, I go back to Bill Watts. <laughs> and I asked Bill Watts specifically about that. And his <laughs> mouth dropped open when I said it. Um you know, if like to me, it just it just reeks that it seems that nobody has respect for the industry or their own work in the industry anymore. Let's just go out and like, what's next? Shane Douglas shoots laser beams out of his eyes. Uh, I fly around the ring and flip out talons and slash somebody to death. I mean, where does it end? If if everything is just a, a spoof, if everything is just a Saturday Night Live skit, then where does it end? And like you, you mentioned again in your lead-in, Vince Russo has been vilified in this industry to this day. 
look at the feedback you guys got off of you know off the uh, the interview you had uh, with David Arquette, and uh, to me that is so much more plausible, as implausible as it is. That was so much more plausible than having a ten year old kid come out of the audience and win the world tag team titles. Uh, you know, it's it's to me just it bespeaks of what all that is wrong with our business today. And this is whenever people hear me say in any interview, this is the difference of sports entertainment to professional wrestling. There's a very stark difference, black and white and nothing against the kid. I'm happy that he lived a, a, a dream that he'll live the rest of his life and remember forever. But that's not what WrestleMania is supposed to be about. That's not what the product is supposed to be about. Uh, if, if you look at the NFL, when the Steelers are driving for a touchdown, it's not about they hit it, stop here and bring some 10-year-old kid out of the audience to run the ball in so that <laughs> everybody can pop this 10-year-old kid wins the touchdown or gets the touchdown. And yet it just underscores to me just how far off the tracks our industry has gone that after 18 years of vilification of Intruso for that decision, we now get this. And in light of uh, at the same time, we're getting the invisible man winning battle Royals and we get freeze frames and we get pretend hand grenades and we get all this crazy stuff that has nothing to do with wrestling. Okay. Again, if, if it's just, let's just be more outlandish than the others. And I'm going to get, a pair of goggles that shoots laser beams out and I'll just vaporize every opponent I ever have to wrestle and uh, pull out a voodoo doll and stick them in the heart and pin them. I mean, where does it end? I mean, how absurd does it have to get before it's too absurd? I would say we're well beyond that level now. Now I'm reading Sports Illustrated liked it. They thought Strowman and Nicholas were a great pairing. They both played their part well. I mean, those guys are idiots. Just such fake wow. idiots that legit <laughs> know nothing about wrestling. They should never cover wrestling. Quit the business, you idiots. My God. That was Sports so Illustrated said that. Yes. Yep. Wow. I, I mean, I, I'm, canceling my, I'm canceling my subscription to Sports Illustrated tomorrow. I really want That's, that. And they don't make it anymore. I want that flip football phone, but they don't make it anymore. So screw them. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Hell, I'll just go buy the the, the swimsuit uh, edition when it comes out. Do they even still make that anymore? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. You, really? In this PC world, they can still do a swimsuit? I mean, isn't that victimizing women and taking advantage and all yeah, these other horrible things? Jeez. can't believe they would do that. Well, <laughs> if, they, if, if, if they're putting over Stroman and a 10-year-old kid winning the belt, then... Fuck Sports Illustrated. Terrible. And it's so corny, too, like these dumb fans that are like, oh, it was it was funny or whatever. It wasn't funny. It was ridiculous. And with Russo doing it with Arquette, they were desperate. At, you know, at that point, WCW, they were doing anything to get a headline, anything to grab a rating because WWF right. was starting to pull, pull away with the lead, pull away with the lead, pull away with the lead. WWF right now, WWE, excuse me, they have nothing. There's no competition really, you know, amongst – a smaller ROH, smaller New Japan, things like that, but there's nothing. They could have had Big Show, Kane, Samoa Joe, Jeff Hardy. They had all these guys in the back. 
They could have used right. Strowman's partner and then done whatever, but they take the little kid out of the crowd. And truly, truly an embarrassing moment for wrestling. Well, but this fits right in to me. You know, knowing Vince McMahon like I know him and his juvenile humor. You know, this is the kind of, oh, that'll be great. You know, we'll have a kid come out and beat Cesaro and Sheamus. Uh, it's it's absurd to the highest degree. And for those of us that are purists on the wrestling business, uh, we can see now why wrestling has gone from the 48 to 52 million fans that used to watch per week in this country and dropped to the 2 million we see weekly now. And next year at this time, it'll be below that. Uh, again, I mean, I'm telling you, on the vein we're in, somebody's going to be shooting laser beams out of their eyes and flying to the ring within due time. It's just a matter of, I mean, how can that be more absurd than a 10-year-old kid winning the world tag team title? Uh, utterly absurd. And it's funny that the, the fans today won't have a problem with that, which embarrasses the business, but then they'll hate on Roman Reigns because I, I honestly don't really even, not, not sure why, I guess, quote-unquote, to Vince's boy, and they try to push him. Throughout this this whole year, he's kind of had a losing record. He went on a losing streak. Uh, you know, he's doing kind of doing anything to kind of you know garner some favor, get some sympathy from the fans, and even gets cut open big time against uh, Lesnar in that match. I mean, that was a yeah. deep, deep cut and, and a legit hard way shot. I thought that was great to see blood again. Uh, I felt like uh, Reigns' uh, you know facial expressions and everything. I thought he did really good that match. Just to, you know, after seven and a half hours, the crowd was dead. People were like, oh, they didn't react yeah. to rain. The crowd was dead. I mean, they were they were about to fall asleep. I mean, um, but sure. did you did you see rain basically bleeding like a stuffed pig? I did, and, and you know, my biggest takeaway from that match was again, I, I you know, we, we I understand times change, but I keep going back to like when I was champion and the things that I would do in the ring. Uh, if I would have done two belly-to-bellies or three, let alone four, five, or six, and the guy keep kicking out and then he's busted open and I'll do one more and I pin him. I can't imagine the crowd not eating my ass alive in the ring. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, and then, I, then we hear, you know, the afterbirth and you don't know what's true. I haven't spoken to anybody, but that Vince was pissed because of the color in the match to me, that was the one thing that sold that match, if, yes. if, you know, if anything else. And I thought Roman did an exemplary job in the role that he was put in in that match uh, at WrestleMania. After the length of time, like you said, you know, going on, what, the sixth, seventh hour at that point, and, uh, you know, all the other buildup. And, again, all the ways, looking back, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So I don't pretend to be like present here or something, but you look back from this point backward and you see all the ways they hadn't gotten Roman over. And then when the fans rebelled against Roman, they kept shoving Roman down their throats and, you know, trying, I don't know if trying to get him over or trying to keep burying him more. I don't know what their intent was, but obviously it wasn't working. And so you, you, you hear the audience for both Lesnar and Reigns in one of the main events for WrestleMania, it didn't seem that the crowd was too happy with either of them. And that's all booking. That's all in the way things are booked. That all goes right back. That's a reflection 
right back to those people that are writing it and making the final decision. And we all know who that is that makes the final decision, especially on WrestleMania. So if that match didn't work, it didn't work only in the sense that somebody, I am, (coughs) 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 fucked it up. Not those guys. You can't put it on Brock and you can't put it on Roman. That was simply a booking decision, and those decisions were made well in advance of that match taking place. And, you know, with Mania and everything else, I don't even want to get a, you know, the Gene Douglas grade for it because, you know, you're, you're, you didn't really see the whole thing, and it's kind of silly to, to get the grade on that. I wanted to get your thoughts on the WWE having the rematch from WrestleMania, Reigns versus Lesnar. I believe it's going to be in a steel cage, and it's going to be a part of this thing called the Greatest Royal Rumble, and it's going to be in Saudi Arabia at the end of the month. Did you hear about this? And what are your I thoughts? Have. What are you, What are your thoughts what? on that, them wrestling? Because the women aren't allowed to be on the card, and it's well, and you know, you know, it's pretty good, pretty um, pretty big, substantial card. Well, that's that's the whole thing. I mean. I think it's arguable that you could say that the hottest thing that WWE has going right now are the divas. Uh, they put the most time into that. Uh, it seems like the focus is mostly on the divas. And so suddenly you're going to go to and have the quote unquote greatest Royal rumble ever. Uh, and you get over there and the women aren't allowed to wrestle. They're not there. Now we understand, you know, the, again, the geopolitics involved, but they also did, they've, they've done previous Middle Eastern shows where the women went out and wore different outfits to cover the, the skin, et cetera. And from my understanding, got over quite well with the audience. And yet now they're going to go and do this and, and sanitize that out. Uh, in this day and age of the Me Too movement and all of the rest of it, when the WWE has put all this focus on the divas and then they're going over to this you know, this huge show that they're having there to then do it in a way where, well, by the way, wink, wink, we're not bringing the the, the divas with us. Uh, To me, just underscores that this is nothing more than a money grab. Uh, Again, understanding up front that business is business and that's what business is, is making a profit. But when your profit, your product is built, around so much these days around the divas you know all these offshoot shows and the revolving door of all the divas that have come and gone uh, it, it seems to me from the outsider looking in that the lion's share of effort is put into the the women's division in the wwe right now and then you see them going and doing this huge show uh over in the middle east and suddenly poof abracadabra there's no women here um, it's a bow to all that's wrong with the politics uh, in that area, in my estimation. Um, you know, I, I, I would dare say that if Vince had said to them, look, we've got to have the Divas on, especially because they'd had previous shows in the Middle East that did have the Divas on, uh, that now they're going here and saying we're not going to have them here. It, uh, to me, it just really is a, is a black eye to the WWE, uh, especially with all this Me Too movement and you know all the women's rights movement and everything else that's going on right now. This sanitizing it out 
just so we can go there to have this show doesn't reflect well on the WWE in my estimation. They're filming it on the WWE Network April 27th. It's going to be a huge show. It legit looks like it might be better than Mania or built up better than Mania. You got Lesnar and Reigns in, in a steel cage. You got Cena versus Triple H. You have Cena, Triple H, supposedly The Undertaker, The Big Show, Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, Daniel Bryan. All all their big names are in a 50 man Royal Rumble. It is being built up like huge. So the you know the Saudis must be giving them some big chunk of change to uh, put on the show. Does that you know weigh in? You know you're thinking at all and thinking like wow you know the pretty greedy of them. They're kind of ignoring the the woman's revolution that they, you know, they're, they're pumping up and they're taking a, a ton of money from the Saudis. Well, uh, again, at what point, I mean, Vince is already a multi-billionaire. At what point do you say, I'm going to sell my soul uh, or my company's soul for a dollar? You know, this is a country that doesn't allow women to drive. Uh, women have a deeply second-rate citizen uh, status in that country. You know, so by going there and doing this, to me, it's it's an endorsement of that system. And especially because, again, the WWE, anybody that talks about the WWE today, within 30 words, comes to the Divas, Charlotte, uh, uh, you know, Bailey and uh, uh, Nia and all the rest of these fantastic athletes that they've built up and spent so much time and effort and capital in building. And now they're going to take this product over to someplace else. Do, do you think the fans in, in that country aren't aware of the divas, aren't aware that, that they're a key element in the, in the WWE uh, empire? Uh, and yet here they are in your country, none of them to be seen. Uh, you know, I just, I, again, I, I just think it reflects very, very poorly in 2018 on the WWE. Uh, I can't imagine that, uh, the kingdom would say, well, you know, Vince had insisted to make, take every precaution like they did before in the middle East, have the woman wearing different outfits to cover the skin, et cetera, that the, that the Saudi Arabians wouldn't have said, Okay, we can we can settle with that, but my guess is that the, that the attempt wasn't even made because we now see the final product that they're pretending to put out there in Saudi Arabia, and uh, it's sanitizing the women. And when I look in a, in a culture that sees women so second rate, they're not even allowed to drive. There was a recent video that that, that aired in the last six seven months. There was a beautiful young woman that was out in the desert and she was taking a, like a, like a video of herself walking in the desert and she had like a skirt on and, and a, and a shirt, but she was showing skin. That young woman was arrested and I've never been able to find out what the fallout was, what happened or beyond that. And, you know, to me, it's like this, when you have this class of cultures, you can, as a company, say, you know, we're not going to go there because it, it'll seemingly look like an endorsement of that. And to bypass that payday, or do you, it, it's like taking money from a murderer and say, well, I know the guy's a bad guy, but he paid me so well, it's okay to go there um, and do a show for this guy. 
at what point do you say this is beyond the pale of what we as a corporate entity support? And, you know, clearly the WWE has been a strong supporter of, of the divas and women's wrestling. And yet they're going here for this show and somehow sanitizing it out. Again, I don't see how this doesn't come out as a black eye for anybody publicly invested in the WWE. I don't see how this comes out as not being a black eye, especially in this day and age in this country where we have the Me Too movement and all the women's rights movement and everything else. And suddenly here, poof, we're going to sanitize them out because could harm us as a corporate entity in this particular show. Uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd be lo- I would love to hear what the women's rights groups and, and, and the Me Too movement and and I'd love to hear and we never we never will, but I'd love to hear what some of the divas thoughts are on this. And Ronda Rousey will not be there. But if I can just uh, change gears here a little bit and something a, a little bit different to do on the show this week because you know we're talking about franchise actually winning matches and some positive things. Not necessarily <laughs> always going to be positive or franchise winning, but this week in franchise history, little Shane Thology, barely legal, 1997, which was April 13th, 1997, barely legal, first ever ECW pay-per-view, Shane Douglas successfully defended his ECW television title over Pitbull number two, Shane how awesome was the ECW's first pay-per-view and how awesome was it to, you know, vanquish the demon that was Pitbull number two? Well, it was, it was such a big night for the company. I mean, you know, in wrestling, especially then, pay-per-view was the Nirvana. I mean, that was the apex. You know, if you made it to pay-per-view, we clearly were doing something right. And so there was a, uh, there was a groundswell of pride in the company you know, not that we hadn't already been proud of what we had done, but this was sort of a stamp of approval. You know, we had finally made it. And, you know, the, to see it again, put you into that ECW family feel. When we, you know, the ECW arena was a pretty rundown building. And the day or two before, everybody was there. Everybody from the Chris Chetties to the, Mikey Whipwrecks to the Sandmans to the Francines and Beulahs to the Shane Douglases and Tazes and Bam Bams and Chris Candidos and Justin Crowder. Everybody was in that building, and we were painting the floor, painting the walls, uh, making the building look as good as we possibly could to put on, on pay-per-view. And I can't imagine anybody, any other promotion that had ever worked for doing that. But the night of the show... Uh, as the night got, you know, during the day, it was sort of like an exuberance in the building. As we got closer to the actual show, that started turning from exuberance to nervousness. And, you know, I'd been on God knows how many pay-per-views at that point in my career. Uh, Terry Funk obviously had, you know, been around since pay-per-views had started. Uh, you know, and now suddenly there was this sort of, Paul that had dropped across like this, this shadow descending on the ECW arena as the realization was setting in that in an hour, in 30 minutes, in 15 minutes, in 10 minutes, we're going live beaming around the world via pay-per-view. And, 
you know, that nervousness started settling in on several of the athletes in the back, uh, notably for me, Pitbull number two. And Anthony, who had I'd always had good matches with, he was such a powerful, uh, explosive-type entity in the ring. Uh, I was my. I, I think uh, to this day, I think some of my best matches I ever had were with Pitbull number two because he was so explosive and he listened and he just got into a, like a groove where you could just sort of, you know, just sort of flow with it because you knew where he was going to be and what he was capable of doing. And yet, as we got closer and closer and closer to our time to go out, he was getting more and more and more nervous. And then his nervous, nervousness started making Francine nervous. And like right before we went to the curtain, they're both going, oh, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to this. And, and they started making me nervous because they were both so nervous. And uh, But in hindsight, looking back, all that aside, I mean, there, and there was a lot of that. It wasn't just Pitbull and Francine. It was a lot of that in the dressing room. But looking back on it, what a proud moment for ECW after, you know, growing up in this cockroach-infested bingo hall and, you know, all the things that we had done, all the incarnations of, of ECW as we grew, uh, to finally have gotten to pay-per-view, uh, in my mind, and I think in everybody's mind, it was a certification that we had arrived, that we were legitimate and we could compete, and this was the stamp of approval, not just from the fans, but by the industry, that we were here. Uh, and, you know, for me, it's just one of those momentous moments that you look back at and say, you know, uh, what a seminal, seminal point for ECW. After all that had gone in for the previous four years in building that company, brick by brick, piece by piece, athlete by athlete, angle by angle, to finally have gotten to pay-per-view and I think delivered the goods, you know, that the main event of that match, of uh, that pay-per-view course being Sabu versus Taz, which was well over a year in the making. I remember going up and watching it. I, I hate to watch a monitor because it's so sanitized of emotion and feel. It's just a, a, a sterile picture on a screen. I like to watch the live event. So I was up in the crow's nest or the Eagles Nest, rather, looking through the curtain and watching. And when the two of them went face-to-face, when they had that long face-off, you know, there was only been a couple times in my career, I can remember in the industry, where I felt that electricity in the air. And I don't say that as, a, as like a, a saying or just a, like a slogan. There was, like, literally the hairs on your arms were tingling watching these two guys face off face to face after this long slog build up to this, you know, and, and uh, to me, it was the magic that was ECW, you know, that uh, this little company, you know, we, you know, we all, we're all familiar with the, you know, the, uh, you know, I think I can, I think you can, a little train that thinks he can. Uh, here was ECW living that out and it's, in all its glory and all its blood and all its extreme activity, here was this little company that could and was doing it that night for the first time. It was a phenomenal moment. Crazy. I mean, for that to be 20 years ago is unbelievable. And I'll tell you something. 
I'd sit through seven hours of ECW, barely legal. <laughs> sit, sit, put me put me right in front of that that lead up, uh, especially with Sabu and Taz, and I could I could still close my eyes and see the video that was leading to it, just because it was unbelievably produced, and we all got to see behind the mat. When the, the footage was uh, released, uh, when the movie came out, and we got to see what was going on backstage and everything you just said, we got to see. And you're right on the money. And uh, for that to be this week in, uh, in franchise history, the, uh, the Shane-thology, if you will, as John put it, that's, uh, that's a pretty good place to start with uh, the history of the franchise. That's a damn, damn huge event in the history of wrestling. Well, it really was amazing that, that, that it ever took place in the first place. You know, because we had had several offers. Showtime had made an offer to us for a pay-per-view, I think, a year, year and a half before that. But they wanted – and this is where I give Paul Heyman all the credit. Uh, You know, for a company that was, you know, slogging along and week by week, month by month, doing it the old-fashioned hard way, uh, Showtime came and offered us a pretty substantial offer to take – ECW to pay-per-view via Showtime. And the problem was they wanted us to do an, I think it was an eight camera shoot and they wanted like laser beams and pyro for the entrances and everything. And Paul Heyman stuck to his guns that ECW was not that it was not a slickly produced eight camera shoot. It was not a pyro and uh, laser beam type of company. It was what it was meant to be raw and hardcore in your face. And, and he turned them down. That takes some big cojones, you know, to sit there and say, after all this hard work and all that you've done at that point, to look at a corporate entity like Showtime, at that point, part of the number two entity in, in cable sports and cable entertainment, and say, thanks, but no thanks, because we want to stick to this. That, that took some huge stones to say, and he did. And I think it's part of the reason that the that the lore of ECW and the history of ECW has grown over time. That it wasn't just, hey, let's take the low-hanging fruit. Let's stick to our guns and let's stick to our philosophy of what we are because there was nobody better at what we did than ECW. You know, obviously it's a big, uh, a big event, not only in your history, but wrestling history. And we want to cover the feud that John was talking about with this match with not just Pitbull number one or Pitbull number two, but that whole entire Pitbull's saga with Shane. And I was going to suggest this maybe off the air that we start to cover that as a full episode in the coming weeks. But I got to say, uh, we're running towards the end of the show here. This has been a hell of a review of just your weekend, Shane. I mean, think about it. We didn't talk about anything else outside of just what you did and where you were for a full weekend. So if your life continues to be this interesting, Shane, these shows are going to write themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you live the interesting life of the franchise, you'll be one bored son of a bitch. Cause it's, <laughs> it, it, it ain't the most exciting life in the world, but it is my life. And you know, as long as I have my kids, the rest of it's all fluff and stuff. The, the, I got the two coolest boys in the world and that's what I live for. But it's, it was a great weekend. I, I had a, an incredible time. You know, seeing you know, the first time I've ever met Kurt Hennig's mother, uh, Irene, and she uh, she and I had a long talk about Kurt, and it was just just that's the kind of stuff that I cherish now in my career. 
is being able to have those kind of conversations and you know, talking to Larry the Axenig and and Bill Watts and you know all these guys that knew Dominic Nucci and Harley Race all saying, make sure you tell Dominic I said hello and uh, that's what brings it full circle to me because this you know their time with Dominic, my, I've been in the business for going on 39 years and precedes that by decades. And to see these guys still making appearances and still going out and saying hello to the fans, uh, to me, tickles me to death every time. Aside from the fact that I was big fans of Larry the Axenig and Harley Race and Bill Watts, then having gotten the chance to get to know them and, you know, that they actually know my name and know who I am astounds me. But, uh, you know, these events, for I think, not only for the fans, like I was telling everybody at my table, but for us as well, these aren't just family reunions. This is like a reunion that spans the decades and pulls all these generations together. Everybody in that room is a, is a mark, or they wouldn't be in professional wrestling in the first place. And then to get to go in there and see these guys, all these people that we grew up watching and then learning from and now seeing at conventions, about the coolest thing in the world that I can think of. I, I look forward to a WrestleCon every year because of that. And will always for the rest of my life. A fantastic time. Yeah, that's awesome. We're glad you had a great time. We missed you greatly. Wish we could have been there, but we will be there next year with bells on. Um, and you can you Sweet. can bet your bottom dollar on that. So we also want to review. Shane's got his brand new store on ProWrestlingTees.com, featuring the franchise Shane Douglas classic T-shirts, some new designs, as well as the Triple Threat podcast shirts, and that is at ProWrestlingTees.com slash franchise SD. You know you can hit us up on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at, excuse me, the Franchise SD, as well as send us some questions for Ask Franchise Anything at the Triple Threat Pod at gmail.com. Again, the Triple Threat Pod at gmail.com. If you got any kind of suggestions, show suggestions, guest suggestions, comments, Whatever you got to say, send it our way. We'd love to take a look at it. Got a great question. Winning Powerball numbers. <laughs> yeah, any kind of psychic <laughs> uh, powers you may have, Sharon. We got a great, <laughs> we got a great question, Shane. That we'll we'll probably add on next week. Um, that just is another one. It's, out of, it's so out of left field that I think uh, I I think you'll 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 like it because it's a little different. It's it's talking about your career. It's talking about some WCW times, but. I don't think something you'd ever think of, um, but this person sent in a great question, and we'll maybe add that to the fray next week. And, you know, we keep on building our TMPT Con, too, and that's coming this May 19th in Richmond, Virginia. Yes. It's uh, it's out of control, Shane. I mean, it's uh, now it's Scott Hall, it's Kevin Nash, it's Eric Bischoff, but also then Mikey. Uh, Two Cold Scorpio is now going to be there. Nikolai Volkov. Nice. Uh, Henry Godwin. Ronnie Garvin. C.W. Anderson, a host of others heading to Richmond, Virginia, May 19th. And you can get all the information at tmptofwrestling.com. And while you're there, check out the Triple Threat Podcast page as well for past episode downloads and for YouTube video links. So, Shane, before we get to your wrap of the show, please share with the fans where you are going to be out in the wild this coming weekend. This coming weekend, I'm going to be down... Gonna be a big loop down to North Carolina again, and then over to Kentucky, Owensboro, uh, Kentucky, where I'll be facing my age-old nemesis Tommy Dreamer, and a hell of a loaded card. 
where these two promotions are going against each other, having a super card for Kentucky. Looking forward to it. And I, anytime I can get in the ring and play my tricks and games with Tommy Dreamer, I always look forward to it. Uh, so that's where I'll be this weekend. Uh, I also have a big, big match with uh, George South in, in the North Carolina show. Now, here's why it's noteworthy. George South was the person that I wrestled in my first match coming into the NWA as a snot-nosed kid. And now we get to wrestle all these years later uh, to, I think George is maybe a little bit ticked off at that, the way careers uh, had progressed and uh, <laughs> had laid down the gauntlet. You know, so I'm looking forward to that. You know, I mean, this is, you know, at this stage of my career, there's very, it's very seldom you get to go back and relive something from, 30 plus years ago and we're getting that chance this weekend this friday in uh, north carolina and then uh in, in clayton north carolina and then on saturday in owensboro uh kentucky so i'm looking forward to both nights anytime i get a chance to fuck with tommy dreamer i always enjoy it <laughs> hey and guess what george south is our guest on two-man power trip last week ironically enough sweet did he mention the, did he mention the big match coming up he did. I don't think he mentioned that match specifically because we were talking. Uh, I think he, he whatever he was doing. I don't know, John. Did he mention that? I don't remember. No, he I forget. He had something coming up before that that he was um, that he was mentioning. I don't remember what it was though. Offhand, but we'll have to go back and listen to that episode now again, which is yeah. Crazy. That's yeah. Go back and listen to it. I listened to it. I never really listened back to our episodes. But I don't know. There was something about what he was saying. I had to go back and listen to two times because uh, he caught my attention with the, his philosophy on uh, on training a lot of the kids coming in and the and the size differences and just the kind of the whole makeup of um, seeing the new crop of uh, of students coming into his training school. And uh, man, talk about somebody who's wrestled them all and seen it all. And you put George South pretty much at the top of that list. Well, you know, now now hearing that he didn't mention it, I'm gonna have to give him a titty twister in that match just because <laughs> he didn't mention it. <laughs> did I say he didn't mention it? Because I sure he said he didn't even want to say who he was wrestling. He was embarrassed. But, uh, <laughs> and, and, and when I and when I titty twister, I want to say the two man power trip told me you didn't even mention this match. <clears throat> gonna get him. <laughs> It was a great interview. It was a lot of fun, and uh, those are my favorite kinds. Anytime we can really uh, go deep, and uh, we covered a lot of ground with George South. So, hey, go back and listen to that if you didn't hear it. And obviously, uh, this coming week, we're going to have another big episode. Uh, but, Shane, as this show comes to an end and we head on out to episode number 44, take us out in the way that the franchise can with a little bit of franchising of those listeners' ears. ha, <laughs> ha. Hey, post 43, going into 44, make damn sure you tune in next week for all the big information, because if you don't, I'm liable to scribble your name out on a belt and write fuck him under it. Otherwise, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. Uh, (laughs) Check it out next week right here. Number 44, do it or get your ass franchise. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.